Thanksgiving. Tomorrow. Day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Eve, some people would say. Speaking of food events, that food event we just got done with has got me full and my the insulin is coursing through my veins, making me want to sleep. <laughs> I feel okay. And to make it worse, I'm dim drinking alcohol on top of that. So yeah. if I fall asleep in the middle of this recording, sorry. <laughs> My cocktail at lunch sucked, so. Yeah. Well, you ordered an old-fashioned at a Mexican food restaurant. <laughs> I'm not sure what you expected. I know. <laughs> I'd even ask if they, if they could make it, because all I saw was tequila bottles. Yeah. He had to go back to the probably the room of shame to pour some bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not good with tequila. They hide the bourbon. I, I turn into... I'm, I'm not going to be racist on myself, but I turn into, <laughs> turn into a real Mexican on, yeah. when I'm on tequila. Racist on yourself. Uh, is that is that still an okay thing, or can we not be racist I, I about know. our own? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no idea. I need, a, I need an update. It, it affects me in a way that I feel like it's genetic, that somehow tequila affects me way differently than any other alcohol. Dude, tequila affects everyone way different than any other alcohol. Mm. I can't even drink it. Yeah. It does not mix well with me. Anyway, um, I think I, I want to make sure we mention this, so I'm just going to do it now so we don't forget. But um, I figured we should mention Jay's new venture. Well, I guess the venture's not new, but he's taking it to the next level, right? So he's got the, what's, let's get the URL, right? Is it apexsharp.com? Yeah, I believe so. I'm going to yeah. double check. Anyway, so he's, you know, for people who don't know, um, Jay Jarnathanen. Am I saying that right? Or is it Jarnathanen? Jarnathanen. I say Jarnathanen. Yeah, Jarnathanen. That's it. So he's, um, you know, a longtime friend of the show, but he's got a, um, been working for a long time on this Apex Sharp project, which basically allows you to code in C Sharp and like in Visual Studio or VS Code or I guess whatever, right? Um, and you can do, you know, I guess the compiler and the debugger does its thing and uh, it's just a better coding experience. Mm-hmm. But then it, what does it do? It, um, it it basically gives you it, it transpiles it to Apex, right? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, I okay. mean, think think TypeScript that converts down to regular JavaScript, something like that. And but you're coding in C sharp and it compiles down to Apex. And I wonder, I don't know this. Does he has does he import or somehow make available like all of the the type signatures from all the stuff that's built into the to the to the runtime, the the Salesforce runtime? So you know the all the system classes, the database classes, all that all that stuff. I think so. I, I think he does. Um, but anyway, it looks really interesting. I mean, I don't really do C sharp, so it's not something I've spent much time with. But for anyone who does like C sharp and might, you know, if you spend a lot of time in Visual Studio, you like that experience, and you, and but you're doing Salesforce work, and you think you might want to see if you can do, you know, your Apex coding actually in C sharp. Check check his thing out because he's basically so you know he's kind of I don't know if he's going full time on this or or what, but I know he he's he definitely lo- committed to putting more time and effort into it. Yeah. Um, so that, did that work? Oh, that, I think this is. Although his website doesn't have a lot on it, but it's got a contact us and then video with sound. So okay. and there's a link to the GitHub uh, for yeah. his. Okay. For the software. So he's got a he's got a demo that you can watch and see what it does. Anyway, yeah. So if that's something that's up your alley, check it out. ApexSharp.com. Good luck, Very Jay. Nice. Keep us updated. I should say Jay's probably our first MVP for the good day, sir. He's a. Uh... Oh, he's definitely. Good Day Sir Army. He's yeah. he's hosted our our Good Day Sir Happy Hour twice. He's got to be like for a Dreamforce. He's got to be like a four star general of the army, <laughs> right? <laughs> what is, we have what, many, what are you and I? What would you and I be? Would uh, who would be the, the the Secretary of Defense? 
Jeez. <laughs> we're, we're the uh, figurehead puppet that likes to call themselves president. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you, you got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Is that is that the um God, that's even higher up, I guess. And yeah, I don't I don't know. Anyway. Whatever. Um anyway, let's see. What do you want to start with, John? Let's start let's talk about this beer. I just poured my latest beer. It's um I'm on a tap now, so you can find these. My brewery is called Ross Space BP. And CP or BP ampersand CP stands for that's B is in boy not D right yeah so it stands okay. for brew pub and cocktail parlor <laughs> but uh, this beer is called is this even beer it's orange juice <laughs> so you can yeah it's um, super juicy it's a you know a New England IPA uh, for those who pay attention to hopping rates this would be hopped at a rate of about six pounds per barrel I do six barrel batches sixth uh, sixth one sixth. Do we just have one today, so, or do you have two? We have two. The second oh. one is Big Bad Baptist. So there's no reason for me to nurse this. No. <clears throat> it's good. It's juicy. Uh, it definitely has the uh, the the JR uh, signature on this. So this is the this is what, it was a new recipe that I kind of just I don't know I've been, I've been playing around with things, but different malt bill that I kind of made from scratch. I mean, it's similar to the it's it, it's a typical. You'd look at it and say, oh yeah, that's a New England IPA malt bill, um, but. Like I think I, th- I think I used some honey, a little bit of honey malt in this, and I changed some ratios of stuff, and I also mashed at a lower temperature, so it's real dry. I actually don't like it this dry. So, and this is about six and a half percent, which is, I mean, for an IPA, kind of on the, I guess the middle of the road, maybe a little on the low end, but I, I, I still think that this needs just a little bit more, like residual malt, kind of residual sugar. I'd, I'd like this, I think, better if it was just a little bit sweeter. Really. I actually like it the way well, it is. Some people do like them real dry, so I, I don't know. I'm not big on sweet. In fact, that was my big complaint about my cocktail earlier. There, this guy was probably used to making uh, margaritas and stuff. The old-fashioned was too sweet. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I'll keep playing around. Um, what do you want to start with? Let's start. Let's. Let's. You want to get right into your? I'm curious about this integration thing you're doing because I want to. I want to contrast it with. The integra- little integration system that I've built over the past <laughs> six months or so. I, I mainly want to learn for you and learn all your secrets and just steal them. Well, that, them yeah, I got to be careful about it, you know, giving away all my good ideas. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I say that jokingly, but part of me is kind of like, no, I think I came up with some pretty good ideas here. <laughs> I bet you did. That's what I said. I want to I wanna take your ideas, combine them with my good ideas, and make something that's better than your thing. Yeah, but then I won't make any money. Yeah, you will. Everyone will steal my yeah. ideas and everyone will make more money than me. I think I'm, you know, I've, I've wondered, like, should I actually continue to make this thing more um, robust? Yeah, robust. Um, and, and so the things that would, I, I probably would definitely need to be improved if it were to be a product um, would, well, I've, I'd have to figure out, like, is this, a, is, this a, is this a software as a service thing or is this something you run or I run for you or, you know, which is kind of, mm-hmm. I guess, software as a service, but um, no, just like, you know, the the logging and monitoring, um, definitely just kind of these enterprise type stuff, um, probably authentic. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to add like all types of additional authentication. I'd, I mean, I've only added support for, it's all interface based, right? So like the mm-hmm. things that are sources of data or sinks of data or d- destinations or whatever. I mean, those are all just interfaces, right? So, and I've, you know, I've implemented I've got implementations of those that are for things I care about, like Salesforce is one, um, Postgres is one. I think what else have I done? There's another. Um, oh, fl- like flat, like flat files. Um, 
but there'd have to be way more things, you know. And there'd have, and, and this is also definitely like because I've built this for just some of these relatively simple point-to-point integrations that mm-hmm. I've done. So that's kind of how it's designed. Oh, it also had, there's no scheduling or anything on it. So like the way it works right now is you execute it. It's and it's it's all Java. It's kind of Spring Java and um, Groovy based. I mean, you do all your configuration in Groovy, which I'll I'll talk about later, I guess. But so your version is completely external to Salesforce. It is. Yeah, it's it runs on because it, yeah, it definitely requires Java. It's a Java app, um, but uh, yeah, you so you run it and it goes through, you know, all the integrations you've configured, runs them, and then exits and it's done. So it doesn't know how to schedule itself. It doesn't stay resident or anything like that. So, and it also doesn't support any kind of like streaming model right now. So, like, let's say you had an integration and you wanted um, you wanted to use like outbound messaging or platform events to ping the integration and send it stuff all the time. Well. It would have to be running and then like listening on some type of, you know, published port or you know an interface and everything. And so it doesn't do any of any any of that kind. Of, I mean, there'd actually be a, there'd be a lot I'd want to do if I wanted to make this a, a product that was in somewhat that was worth you know spending any amount of money for. Um, but I, that's not what I've used it for. That wasn't the goal of it. Yeah. The goal of, of this was just I had some. That's uh, at the time I had a client who. Actually, a couple who needed integrations, and I, I hadn't done integrations in forever because I hate integrations. <laughs> oh, I hate integrations so much. I, I don't know. I have a love-hate in relationship with them. Some of them I enjoy the challenge of, and others, they're a bit monotonous where there's really no challenge in it. It's just tedious, and those ones I'm, I'm not a fan of, but that comes yeah. with the territory. And it really is so dependent on the client. I mean, clients that, that have existing systems have done integrations. They know what to expect. They, you know, their expectations are... They know it's, you know, they know what's hard, what's not hard. You know, that it's always it's always nice when a client has. They're not doing something for the first time with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I guess that uh, is dictates a lot of it. But I, I really, and I know some of them are good. Like, but I don't. I didn't. I don't like using any of these big enterprise integration platforms like uh, Informatica and MuleSoft. Is seems to be the the hotness the nowadays. The oh yeah, such a darling. It's probably because I. I guarantee you go look at MuleSoft. I guarantee you either Benioff or like Salesforce Ventures is is backing them. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, I, I would I would bet money, not a lot, but I'd bet you a beer. Yeah, maybe. Um, but uh, I, I didn't want to use one of those. I mean, they're and and I know they can they can definitely make a lot of it easier. And I mean, it's it's and it's really for so many organizations. It's it's uh, the only option that makes any sense. Like you have to be. I would, you know, I think a pretty good and experienced programmer and have a lot of time to build a custom integration. I mean, there's so many downsides. There's so many bugs you're going to have to work through. And like, just, it's, you know, and that, and that I mean, if I was an IT, uh, like a CIO or an IT manager of some sort, I definitely would not let people write custom integrations. Probably not. I mean, it just depends on who might, what, what kind of people I had, but. I think it just depends on the situation. I mean, you have some companies that are, you know, have the the capability to monitor and implement some kind of informatica and all those kind of things. You know, for some companies that just need to get data in and out, they don't really care what happens in between, and they don't have the budget to spend on a recurring uh, subscription fee to say informatica or, or one of these other tools. Um, they're just their their needs are really simple, so they're never going to use even a percentage of the power of those tools. So something custom. Even though, yeah, it comes with a little bit more headache and a little bit more uncertainty, it's still the better option. Yeah, and there's there's because there's so much you have to do to to actually really harden 
an integration if mm-hmm. you're going to write one. Um, and you just have to use it on lots of integrations so you can, f- you know, so you can uh, flush out the bugs and yeah. just add all the things you need to add. It's it's really, it's one of those things that's, it mushrooms and it's a way bigger project than what you you think it is. At least to get it to the point of like, okay, we actually are comfortable running this in our enterprise. Like it's secure, it's reliable, uh, you know, we can we can monitor it and manage it and all that stuff. It's That's just a ton of work. I mean, that's why companies take you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in funding to build something like that. Cause that's the, you know, that's how much effort it takes. Yeah. But uh, I didn't want to use those. I mean, I've, and I'm, you know, I don't, it's not that I think I'm exceptional, but I've, I've just built some of these integrations in the past. I kind of, I can build a, a custom integration and I know, I know how I want it to work. I know the pitfalls and I know how to test it and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but in this case, the client, you know, the couple of clients that I had an integration at the time, they, they they both express um, the desire to be able to do quite a bit of you know like configuring of and changing of it on their own. Well, you know once I'm out of the picture, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I just took the time to. It was just an experiment, really. I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I had not, I hadn't built one of these with this level of customization before. But basically, just to shorten this story up, so I don't keep uh, monologuing here. Um, it's uh, you, you create your you you have to configure the thing right, and it's it's a uh, it's configured at you know. It it reads the configuration at runtime when it runs, so it's nothing's mm-hmm. baked into it. You do have to have implemented like if you want a Postgres connector or a Salesforce connector or a CSV connector, you have to have implemented those, and that's all in you know Java or Kotlin or Scala or whatever. Right. Um, in yeah. this case, it's Java Java and Kotlin. Um, but the configuration is done. It basically reads any number of Groovy scripts at runtime, and when when it runs your when when you when you when you're writing this script, there's you know it, you're, it's you're it's running in the the script's running in a context that these there's things made available to you. So there's those connectors are made available to you. There's like this kind of a script builder that's made available to you. That you kind of just you you uh, you know access that thing to actually add uh, what are they called? And I think they're called tasks or something. Mm-hmm. I think you, you basically just add add tasks to this kind of list of tasks. And there's, um, you know, the t- a task has a, a source and a destination and it, the task, um, it passes you a, that, this kind of thing, thing that's called a mapper. And um, it's essentially a, a, kind of like a lambda, really. And it passes into you um, the, uh, basically it calls your, it, okay, this thing you implement via a, a lambda, or in this case, it's like a groovy closure. Uh, it passes you the record that's currently in context, and so you can do anything with that record you want. But really, what you're doing is you're um, you're mapping mm-hmm. that source record to some destination object, and re- and so what you do is you kind of just like new up a and uh, in, 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 uh, groovy there. It's basically like a hash map, essentially. And so you just with like a string, it's just a string to an object map, basically. So you start building up. This is your destination object, right? So you right. build up this destination object however you want with you know fields and values, and then um, it it also has passed you the the destination, and so you can actually you can call destination dot I don't know send or I can't remember what it was called, but basically take an add or whatever. T- take this record I just built up because that's going to go to the destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's cool about that model is you can call that whenever you want. You don't, for example, because one of the one of the use cases that some of these integration tools that are just kind of like they, they assume they've got this model and you have to fit your integration within their model. Like, what if you don't want to send a destination record for every source record you read? What mm-hmm. if you want to, like we were talking about earlier, filtering? What if you've got some logic that's like, oh, it's only if they meet a certain criteria? Or what if you 
What if it takes 10 or some variable number of source records to add up to a destination record? I mean, there's all right. kinds of things, right? So you can call that destination.add whenever you want, and you can build up that destination record however you want. And all in really easy to read. And, and I, I designed it to, re, I, don't, I don't, it's kind of basically like a DSL. And it's almost, it's very human readable. And because it's groovy, there's not a bunch of semicolons and whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's and it, you know, ends up being relatively easy for non-programmers to modify, you know, modify this integration. I mean, they, they also ask me for help when they want to add something like totally net new. Because it's, I mean, it is, not that necessarily because like the, you know, the, the creating this or editing the scripts are, it's just, I don't know. There's just always things you want to consider when you add a new integration, I guess. But, um, but once, yeah, once you add that destination object to this, or, or your your you know, destination record to this destination object thing, um, that's when I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that does in the background for you. So it it actually will, depending on how you've configured your destination, it will it will queue those up. So maybe you because for batching reasons. Mm-hmm. So if your destination supports batching, then you know, you can set it, you can configure it to say, oh, you know, um, use a batch size of 100 or whatever. So in your script, you're just calling send, send, send. But it's right. smart in the background to know to batch those up and to only, you know, w- whenever it hits its uh, max size to, to send those over. And it does, it's doing, uh, so it's doing all that. It's doing, um, it's it's keeping statistics for you, you know, how many succeeded, how many failed. There's like error exception management. You can, you know, it does stuff. Um what else does it do? Logging or all kinds of stuff. But basically, yeah. I mean, really, in the in the in the script, you're just you're basically just defining your map. And again, it's groovy. So it's a it's a programming language. So you can pretty much have whatever logic and string manipulation and con- date conversion, all you know, math, whatever. I mean, you can you, know, you can do whatever you want. So it's been so from that perspective, it's pretty flexible. The thing where it's not flexible, it's definitely it's I've only used it for point to point integration. So it's like here's your you got a de- source, you've got a destination, it runs it, and then it's done. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not an ESB. It's not you know it's not a service bus or this is not you know any of that right kind of stuff. It's not a it's not a hub of any sort. But for what it was meant to do, it's actually it's actually worked out really well. And I've you know done bug fixes over time and stuff. So it's it's you know fairly hardened. Anyway, that's mine, and yours sounded completely different. So, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how where the differences are. I mean, ultimately, it still comes down to reading. And I mean, mine's point to point as well. It's not trying to be a bus. It's not trying to broadcast messages or do too much. But um, it, it seems like during the mapping process is where all your data transformation and, and data type mapping and all that kind of stuff happens. Whereas mine. I'm actually um, staging the information in memory, so I res- my goal was to build a stream of file. So versus receiving, all- you, need, you need to give us a little bit of background because, like, one very very important fact is yours is built in completely in Apex and re- well, not completely, but yeah. largely in Apex and runs on the Salesforce platform. So yeah, that's one and I'm big a, difference. I'm going to try. There's going to be areas where I'm going to be vague because I'm I'm building this for someone with a with a uh, target in mind, but that target could expand. <laughs> Okay. Um, in other words, this is being the, the goal is to be as native as I can be with this. Um, there is a server side component to build a streaming file from an FTP since we don't have that capability. There's also <laughs> no streaming a, in Apex. There's also a <laughs> hey, but you're getting a switch statement. That's going to solve all your problems, <laughs> isn't it, John? Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, there's also a kind of UI component where you you can drag and drop a file. And again, I'm mainly talking about flat files at this point. Um, 
there is appetite for other type style of connectors, but I'm not really worried about that right now. So it's really give me a flat file, either stick it on a server or drag it into the into the browser, and I know how to handle that type situation. Um, because it's native, the goal is to be very point and clicky with with its configuration, which means um, I do want to offer a great deal of flexibility, yet I want to do it in a way that's intuitive, that makes sense, that's that has the bumpers put in place so that people don't screw themselves over, that type of situation. Um, so, I mean, that's just kind of the general background of how I, how I approach this. Um, I've done a lot of integrations that I've done in the way, the way you've kind of described, which is, you know, I have a, have a system, it reads in the file, and then there's this, this mapping process. But within that mapping process is when it decides how I'm going to translate this information to fit into this bucket so that I can push it up. Because uh, ultimately, what I was trying to do was get the data mapped into an S, a Salesforce object, basically, so that I can get the API, call the API and just push it until it insert this record. Um, with this, I'm doing something way different um, because I'm trying to do it all native in Apex and I'm trying to give a certain degree of flexibility to say, here's a file. It's got all these different types of information in it because it's flat, meaning it, it probably has accounts, contacts, and maybe some, some other information related to the contact in it. So it's probably got three levels of, of hierarchical information all flattened out in this file. Mm. So each record can have some account data, some contact data. Right. And some, it's kind of like when you load leads to the, the import wizard, right? Right. Or, or, or actually, no, you, you can do accounts and contacts. You're right. And it kind of like looks at the account name and it'll it'll try to attach people, like contacts, whatever, to the ex- existing account versus creating a new one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so so there's a concept of, of me trying to address that by um, – allowing a certain degree of manipulation of that file before it even gets to the mapping process. And so my goal is to essentially say, create this segmentation of your data, and it's it looks exactly the way it needs to look. It's had all the translations done. It's had all the data type conversions done, all the castings done, um, all the... Well, I'm just going to stick with data translation. I'm not going to use the term that I'm using for the for the program itself, but there's, there's ways to kind of manipulate the data um, to generate this kind of object view in memory before it even gets to the mapper, because what I want the mapper to be is just say, put this here, put this here, and nothing so it else like happens. you've got two stages of transformation. Uh, is that not a fair, like, it may be an oversimplification, but that's, it, I, it, I, it, I'm trying to understand what you're describing. It sounds like, you know, again, it's kind of just generally speaking, like you got kind of got two stages of transforming. It, it could actually be multiples. Um, for, for simplicity's sake, then then yeah, I'll say there's two stages of, of there's there's two stages for the most part. Now, why split those into two? Is it just is it because of like just system limitations, or is it to is it to is it because one of them is some is it one that's never going to change and the other one's like is something that's the one you would go change you know if you wanted to make changes to it or or you know add some new fields whatever you, like, you would do it in the second stage and leave the first stage alone. No, see, I, I think I think we as developers and those and maybe even admins who are more technical have the ability to kind of create these boxes around things and say, okay, I'm mapping this, but when I map it, it needs to translate to this and it needs to call this function, it needs to translate to this and I need to script this. You know, I think we're, we're well-equipped to handle that. But I think if I, if I pull this back and try to apl- get some, someone who's not as experienced or not that technically minded to, to manage this and understand what's going on, um, I feel like grouping all of that um, logic into a single interface that says, okay, map this field from this file to here and, well, what if I want it to be, what if it's just a name and I need to parse that? What if it's this and I need to do that? And so all that complexity with mapping creates this like, 
this interface where you're just, you're overwhelmed. You yeah. don't know what to do. You're like, oh, well, I don't know how to do this. I need to, I need to pay someone to do this. And so what I wanted to do was, was find a way so that people can, can kind of walk through this almost in a wizard format to say, okay, here's my source data. Here's the things I need out of it. And here's what I need it to look like and then map it. And so I, I kind of created these multiple stages, as you would put it, um, so that I can walk them through in a little more guided experience through this process versus here's a map. Now map your source file and tell me all the things you want to happen when so you it's map just, it. It's too raw. It would be too raw. Like like you're saying, I mean, it hasn't, it doesn't know anything about data types at that point. Right. It's okay. So what I wanted to do was, was push that forward and say, okay, give me a file or give me some sample data and let's, let's, let's walk through this. Okay. So you have this field and does it look the way you want it or does it need to be a date or does it need to be a, a concatenation of different fields you know, and I I provide elements and processes for that to occur. Yeah. Um, and 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 again, I'm thinking about UI perspective. I'm thinking about user experience perspective. So when I'm coding these concepts, even though I haven't built the UI yet, the the editor experience yet, um, I'm th- constantly thinking about the user experience. I'm going, okay, I could just make this one big thing, one big process. Give me an input, and I'll give you an output type situation. Um, but instead of that, I need to stage this in multiple ways. I need to provide different mechanisms for how do you manipulate this information. Um, and, and again, like I said, I just wanted to simplify the process a lot. So I moved and shuffled things around to provide that mechanism. And I'm hoping that makes sense. Uh, kind of. I mean, this is I'm same thing when you try to describe it earlier. It's like it's so abstract. It's hard to totally <laughs> understand. But okay, makes sense. Well, it, it's it's it, the experience has been interesting because. You know, when you build something like an integration that I've built hundreds of before, but not to this degree of flexibility, not to this degree of I'm going to let someone else build out what they want, how they want this integration to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's different because I can't rely on a data type. I can't say a field name is always a string or field B is always But you date. could let them say that, though. You know, when they define their... Okay, so the way that mine works is they they define what their source is. Now, if you're using something like Salesforce, for example, like I, the, it can, via the, I guess the partner API or whatever the hell it is, mm-hmm. um, it can figure out what the data types are. And so they don't really have to... Well, I didn't want to do that because I've, I've come across situations, and in particular in reviewing the phase one target file, there are inconsistencies in the data. There's characters that shouldn't be there. There's um, date formats that are not consistent. Yeah. Um, there are fields in two different places that need to be combined to form one field. Can't you use Einstein to say like, "Hey, what data, what data type is this?" <laughs> well, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to. I wanted the user to be able to say, "This is a date. I'm expecting a date here." Or, but if it's not consistent, how does that even work? Because he, here's here, God, you're going to force me to give away my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Part of my idea of this system is that the the file is not the source of truth. the The configuration is a source of truth. So you could take a piece of data and translate that into something else, and that becomes the truth. You could take a field that's maybe a number and translate that code into text, and that text is what actually gets submitted to the system. That's just tra- that's just tra- that's just transforming. I mean, that's fine though. Right, but I'm allowing for multiple transformations on that field yeah. in a almost workflow style format where mm-hmm. you can say translate, take the output of that, translate that further, take the output of that, translate it further, and I'm using translate as a general term. 
um, you, you can manipulate that. You can manipulate yeah. that string and you can take a string that maybe has alpha and numeric and you could pull out the numeric and then you could continue to refine that numeric until you get come up with some other new data type. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to tie all the information to the data type of the field because that data type of the field started out as a string, but it ends up as a number. But that number uh, was pulling out some some digits out of that string maybe doing some calculations, some math processes on it, and now you have a new currency yeah. data type. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my thought process around that because that scenario does exist in in the world that I'm trying to move this into. Right. Okay. Stop making me give away ideas. No, I mean, it, it, to me, it's just it just comes back to this as a, just a multiple-stage transformation, which is which I, I see why. I mean, yeah, it add, I, obviously, it adds some complexity to the just the, the system and, I, I and think, how it works and... and Something. But I think I think the differences between what you did and what I'm doing is that you have in your setup, you have the ability to kind of you, what, what what was it? What were you using for what? Um, the scripting part, the mapping, part. Groovy, Groovy. Yep. Um, and like you said, that's essentially a language, so you can do a lot of different things, and you can be very descriptive about what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming from the perspective of I'm not going to give them scripting abilities. I'm just not. I think yeah. I think for the audience that I'm trying to target with this, um, what do you what do you give them? How what things can they do? And I give them a very <clears throat> guided experience. I give them a draggy droppy interface that lets them say, you know, I have a field. I, w- I need to take it from point A to point D, and here's B, and then here's C, and then here's D, and now I'm done. What what are those? What are these things? What are B, C, and D? I'm going to call them transformations for now, but I have a different word for them in the program. So the user can do multiple stages of transforming. Right. Okay. So they can take a field and they could transform it 10 times if they wanted to, to get the value that they, they ultimately And see, in mind, they would just do it all at uh, once. So like, you know, it would be, you know, let's say that you wanted to, you know, uh, I don't know, strip. Uh, you'd want to trim spaces and then replace commas with periods and like that. You would just yeah. like, you'd do your, you'd reference your, whatever the source value was, and you'd say, you know, dot trim, dot mm-hmm. strip, or whatever, you know, whatever the hell you're doing. Um, and that's the challenge. I mean, I, because again, like I said, if it was you and I doing this, I understand those concepts, and I get that. And I could just write a function that says, oh, trim. But in yours, like B would be, and back to your B, C, and D, B would be trim, C would be replace commas with. Right. Or it could even be whatever. split or something. Okay. I mean, it just it just depends on the scenario. And so you have have you defined like these those types of operations? Yes, and it's okay. it's, it's gotten crazy because you think it's simple, yeah, but it has because you're you're reinventing the you're like boiling the ocean here. Like you're <laughs> well, and you have a different. I mean, you you have different goal. Yours has different goals than mine does yeah. for sure. Now I do think long term it would be. I mean, because the the Groovy script is simply a way to configure this graph of mm-hmm. of tasks and destinations and sources and, and mappings, right? Right. That's all the script is. No reason why you couldn't have a GUI to do that as well. True. And so I just haven't built that because it's, again, not a goal. But if I was to make this, you know, some commercial product, that's obviously something that I'd want to do. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, I mean, my perspective is, A, I'm trying to work within the confines of Apex because this is primarily native. What's the, so what's the UI part in? Is, that, is this in Salesforce as well? It's like, vis, you know, visual force? Well, the UI has yet to be actually built, but okay. um, my plan is it, it's only going to support Lightning. It'll be JavaScript, you know, very client side, single single page app type type interface. Okay. Cool. I, I also I like the subject of 
when do you when do you build an integration like natively in Salesforce versus you know have it run off platform? And I was curious because you're yeah. in your situation, your data is coming from off platform. In fact, it's coming from an FTP service, which oddly enough, it's 2017 and Salesforce still can't read from an FTP service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just something you can't do. And I believe we uh, should have a clip for that, right? You can't do this with Salesforce. There we go. Um, and so, but but you still were determined for whatever reason to build this integration on on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why I think you would want to do that. Number one, you may already be paying for Salesforce, something you already have. Yeah. Number two, it uh, it's like less scary than going out and getting some other thing. It's it's you don't you don't have to. You know, it's like you're having to maintain some runtime thing. Some right. runtime integration service agent, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have people that know Apex, but they don't know how to set up, you know, automated deployments to AWS and whatever. If that's where that's going to run, so you don't have to worry about any of that. It's like a, what skills you may already have that skill set, and not not others, right? But other than that, like wh- why? So so there's those reasons, and you probably you probably think of a few more of those. But I mean, what was your big thing? Because I'm I'm of course I'm the type like. I mean, I, there's, there's, especially if it was a Salesforce to Salesforce integration, like everything stayed on the platform, mm-hmm. like I might build something like that in, in Salesforce. But if I'm, if I've got stuff, you know, going on Salesforce, off Salesforce, and I'm, I'm doing things that require, you know, FTP or obviously, I mean, streaming. Just, I mean, how do you write an integration engine without, with, without the ability to stream files or record sets or it's just like, you know, connect yeah. to connect to other databases? I need to connect to Postgres, to MySQL, to Oracle. I mean, it's like, it's it just you're. There's there's too many too many challenges. It makes no sense to build an integration platform like that on Salesforce. You're gonna, you know, you're setting up a, a you're setting yourself up for failure in a, a world of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say setting up setting myself up for failure, but it, it is setting myself up for a big challenge because there are things that I that I can't do. You know, there's only so many times I can loop through this this data. Yeah, and I mean, right. I, I kind of alluded to some of that earlier. Is is when I started building this out and I built my architecture, my original architecture. Um, I abstracted quite a bit and things had interfaces and things had, you know, a fair amount of abstraction that I had to reduce and cut down because um, as, as clean I was try- as clean as I was trying to write the code, it meant that I had smaller functions that were lower in, in the chain. In, in the um, so you're describing why not to do this on Salesforce though you don't have namespace and packages, you have no way to organize <laughs> your code. So you end up with bigger classes, longer methods, um, you know, and and not test classes that aren't that aren't factored the way you normally would. Nothing factored the way you normally would. It's it's and you're you know you're in there. You're mixed in with everyone else's code. Well, yeah, and and so, so you, you know so, you're, you're setting yourself up for you know difficult deployments and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> well, reason A was I got challenged to do this. Um, it sounds like but I someone took, challenged you. Sounds that, like I took but, a dare but, to, to but chug you, a cake. You didn't have but, a customer that challenged you just for the fun of it. Like, hey, let's let's throw a hundred thousand dollars at you and see if you can do this. That's not what that was. Like, there was a reason that they thought they wanted this on. On the Salesforce platform. Well, yeah, and and I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm being kind of vague because I am I am building this for someone, but it's not just for one company. It could be. For oh yeah, many no, of companies. course they're going to resell it. I know. I've heard this. We've all heard this. <laughs> and and so one of the arguments is that the the more native we can keep it, the better. So the, who the, owns this? Do you own this or do they own it? They own it. Okay. Um. So so one of the things we're trying to get over in terms of hurdles is the is the well, you need to have a server to host this. Is to kind of take away that argument of you have to have a server. Because I have the client-side component, because I have a very small 
inconsequential agent that all it does is know how to have, read. Have they from heard an of FTP. Have they heard of cloud computing? I'm just you saying, don't have to have a. I'm server. just saying we're talking about Salesforce cus- customers <laughs> know, who have built a significant yeah. amount of investment in Salesforce and right. want to continue that. And when you tell them you're going to need to host and monitor a server, and I'm going to have to be able to send updates to that server, um, that's kind of a big deal. So whenever we can negate that and say you don't have to have it, we can do this manually or we can provide a small little agent that all it does is read. So from a security standpoint, it's not it's not consuming a lot of memory. It's but not you've still anything. got something off platform. So you actually you do, do have to have a server. You do, but that can, like you said, I mean, I could put that agent on Azure. I can put it on AWS. I can put it on Heroku. I can put it anywhere. As you could if you built the whole integration off platform. I, I, I agree. So I, I'm, I agree. I'm not, <laughs> okay. But, so, so I know it's not so, your so It's an, your client's requirements. Point, I'm, trying another, to get, I'm trying to get in your client's end to figure out like why why. Well, why because another want? selling point is is on the App Exchange to say you're you're 100% native. You're a native app. Except that you're not. You're not 100% native. Well, you technically I mean, are. You, you can say no, that. No, no, you're technically not because you have sh- has to run on AWS. You don't have to. Only if you want to use what the agent your, in FTP. Is, well, yeah, exactly. If you want to use FTP or anything that all the stuff that Salesforce doesn't do, it's not 100% native. <laughs> I guess you can say it's it's native. You don't have to say what percentage yeah. is native. Right. Well, we stick the agent on Heroku, and now it's 100% Salesforce native. That's true. <laughs> it's it's on the app cloud. <laughs> yeah. it's, that's right. <laughs> but, the, but no, they renamed that. It's now the... No, it's still the app no, cloud. No, they... John, we covered this a few weeks ago. They rebranded app cloud. To what? To the Salesforce platform, right? Remember this? No. Yes. I don't remember that. Yes, they did. It's now I the Salesforce I, platform. I could have sworn. They dropped the Salesforce One name. Oh, I know that. It's now the Salesforce platform. Get it together, man. You're you're gonna be you're gonna be two rebrandings behind if you don't catch up. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know you know another one's coming. <laughs> I'll just rely on you to tell me when I say it wrong. Yeah, I feel like I'm always a few behind. Uh, but. No, I mean you're making really good points, and I agree. I mean there there. I, I could have, advocate. I, I could yeah. have you know built this really fat client, and all the logic was in it, and everything to maintain it was there. But there there was a. I got to be honest, I was intrigued by the idea of building it native. You know, no, part of me was like, that's, that's, me. that's a challenge that, I, that I've not really faced. I mean, I've built some customizable stuff. I built stuff that is really customizable. It, I had to pull my hair out to do it because I'd get to a point. I would go a week of building something out and realize, crap, it's not going to work. I have to start over. Um, and that sucks. And I've done that. Especially I mean, I've been, with Apex. Because I've been working on this for, for probably a better part of a month, yeah. if not a month and a half. Um, and I've had to start over certain components or certain modules of this program quite a bit. Um, and is that, is, do you feel like that is because it's Apex and the, and the other limitations of the platform? Or is that just because when you start out, you, you really never know what it's going to end up needing to look like? I would say more the latter because I, I, you know, in, in my head I had the architecture figured out. Everything was was organized really well, at least to a way that I thought. I mean, I because I started out going, this is Apex, so I got to be careful about how I do certain things, and I got to be careful about efficiency and and all that kind of stuff. So I went into it knowing what I was getting into. Um, it's just that as I started coding this out, I was going, man, that's that's a little too much. I mean, yeah, that's it would be good to abstract it that way. But that's just too much. Well, I don't need to create another class or another, instantiate another object when this information is already here. Why don't I just deal with it here? Yes, this class gets a little bloated, but it's here. I mean, it's not there. Two or three hundred classes for a Java app or a Python or a Ruby is, is no big deal at all. Yeah, uh, two hundred, two or three hundred classes for an Apex app is a major pain in the butt. Yeah. So, so I did end up kind of shrinking. Down so, my class. Yeah, so you violate the single responsibility principle all over the place. Yeah. So you have to. You have, yeah, you have quite to. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. 
Um, and even within that, I would I would consolidate too much and I'd start to refactor and then I'd try to think through, okay, well, who should really own this code? And it gets kind of tricky because uh, let's say I'm dealing with a field and I have some, I don't know, let's say filtering mechanism on it. Um, does the, and I have this uh, this collection, does the filtering happen at the collection object or does the filtering happen at the field object or does it happen at the filter object? You know, no, where do I, I put that know. code? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the responsibility of the view to kind of manage all the records, but yet the decision-making is at the field and filter level. So, I mean, there were just different yeah. decisions like that where I was like, oh, I don't know where this lives and I'll, I'll put it somewhere and I'll go like, oh, it's not. And so then I'll try to break it up and put parts of that method in all the different objects. And then I'm like, well, shit, how am I going to maintain this? Yeah, yep. Yeah, duplicated, kind of duplicated logic, I guess. It, it's almost, it's, it's so dependent that it doesn't, it's like, well, why is it there? The only thing that's ever going to call that is this. So why should I stick it all the way down, you know, three levels down? And why don't I just stick it back on this top level object? Because yeah. at least that way, if I'm maintaining it, I'm in one object. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's just one of those things. It's so where... much easier if I just write this whole program in one class. Everything's... In, I've, I mean, I've had... <laughs> John, I've had... I'm trying to think of a particular person. He would have been the CIO, I guess. Uh, I had to sell my case on why this application I was building for them, I was not just putting everything in one class. Mm. And he said, it's so, he's, and he's like, it's so much easier. I can, I can see it all in the same file. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, amazingly, I did not fire them on the spot. Um, I, I worked through it. <laughs> I made my case and, and I, you know, he acquiesced. You so. can't fire everyone, Jeremy. You'll be poor. I know. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it it is a balancing act. It, it, you do kind of have to work through those types of situations and and try to figure out you know where the best place to put it is and and you just you do have to make compromises. It's, it's, I feel like I have this relationship with this code where I'm making compromises here and there just to to have some yeah. kind of working relationship, you know, just so it'll work at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't know, man. To me, it's just it's so easy nowadays. There's so many the tooling and the services available just to to um, to get an app running. I mean, you can I can I can. You know, like for the stack I'm on right now with like you know using Spring Boot and mm -hmm. and Docker. I mean, I can I can I could create an app that connected to a database, did a query, rendered it on the screen, and and I could probably create that and have it deployed to AWS in five minutes. Hmm. Of course, it's a basic app that only does that. But I mean, just the tooling now, and and this is the soft the software stacks have gotten so good. I mean, I I think Spring Boot is just amazing. It, maybe it, I just like the so, pain. Maybe I, well, maybe, maybe I just like, you know. No, I mean, and I mean, there's <laughs> things about Salesforce that are amazing. <laughs> you know, right? I've, I've learned a lot from the experience. I've, I've, I've gained knowledge in areas that I didn't have. You know, of course, I'm working. This is awesome. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> of course, I'm working in the abstract immensely. I mean, there, nothing can have any kind of dependency on some kind of data type. Everything has to be derived from something whether it's the code telling it this is a string or it having to figure out this is a yeah, string yeah you know there's, there's a stream of zeros and ones start abstracting now <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, but it's all in service of the user it's all in service of of you know the my pains should end up being zero pain for the user because from my perspective the reason i'm doing things the way i'm doing them is that that i can create this guided experience on the front end um, that gives them a fair amount of flexibility, but in a simple, intuitive way that yeah. doesn't require someone with a very technical or analytical mind drawing lines and 
and creating transformations and almost basically building a flow chart of their integration. That's not what they need. They just need someone to be able to go in and say, I had this file, you know, here's some stuff, put it here. Oh, this data needs to look like this. Let me modify that using tools that they know how to use today, similar to workflow and those kind of things. So what happens when they have a new source file that's got its all its own weird quirks and data types that are kind of data types but not right, not consistent, all that kind of stuff. Do they then that's when they have to come back to you and say, hey, or they have to drop down to that lower level to do that initial Well there there is a concept that the system in terms of smartness, it will kind of identify the file, look at it and figure out what it needs to, when you configure the the importer. I'm just going to say importer for mm-hmm. now. That's not the term I'm using, but that's I'm just going to. No, no, you want to tell us any of your terms here? I, I can't. You're translating on the fly. I can't. Well, because a lot of the terms are branded, <laughs> totally. and I can't do that. So yeah. <laughs> I'm having to abstract a lot of this. The imp, the super importer TM. Yeah, there you go. Super importer. <laughs> Don't forget the TM. It, it will identify the right importer based on the file. Um, so it does kind of look at the file, and there 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 is there's multiple concepts of that. There is here's the file format to look at, and there's also some kind of validation routine that says, okay, here's the fields in it. It doesn't look like this at all. So bail out or throw an error type situation. Um, So there is that type of concept, but there is another concept in that in the transformation process, um, they can say, Hey, we need it to do this really weird thing. And I can go in and I can override some of the transformations and say, here's my custom version of this and override it and plug that in as a module. So there is that concept. Mm, That's cool. Yeah, I think one of the hard things on integrations, especially if you're trying to create a reusable kind of platform or system, is you have to have to find out what 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 the model is. Because I can remember some of these these other integration platforms. You know, their model right out of the box is, and I say right out of, I mean it's just the way it works. You can't can't change it. Is Mm -hmm. you you have a source, you have a destination. It consider it assumes that everything is is you know tabular data. And yep. for every source record, there's a destination record. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, it's just, there's, it's got all these assumptions, but, and it's a simple model. So that's the benefit of that. And yeah. if that's the way your integration needs to work, then that may be the best kind of a system for you. Um, but, that's but, not, the, but in the real world, yeah. there's, I mean, that's when, that's when, and I've, I've heard, I remember one of the code coverage podcasts, I think they were talking about um, some integration and, and just how, like, there's just no way that like MuleSoft would have been able to, to do this, not without, and I don't even I don't even know to what level MuleSoft lets you customize. Like, can you just like, create your? I mean, and at that point, it's like, what's the point of the platform? Then, if you're having to essentially yeah. <laughs> build your own integration platform inside this integration platform, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's exactly. Like, so at some point, like, uh, we should just <laughs> just build our own. Well, I mean, there's the concept of building your own connectors, and um, and they usually offer some kind of scripting mechanism. So you have to you have to kind of work within those confines. But if, yeah, but getting but getting that and maybe it's the maybe it's the meta model, I guess. Like figuring out what the things are. Like are they are they tasks and do you have filters and and mappings and destinations and well it's funny because I started and, out and, with and, the model. And then flow of, control. Like do you have can you do you, can you have them loop like um, set up a string of tasks and it just runs us in a loop until some condition. I mean, there's like, again, yeah. this is like figuring out what the meta model is and, and what do you need? I mean, what depends on, again, what your goals are. If you're, um, if you're building something that's just for, for your company or whatever and you kind of know what it wants to do, then you you simplify the model to fit what you reasonably know it's going to need to do. But if you're creating something that's, you know, again, there's going to be some product you try to sell, well, that's when it's like, okay, you need a model that's flexible enough that it can, it can, it can handle these more tricky situations, but it's also not so complicated. I mean, you don't you you can you run the risk of coming up with such a complicated model that mm-hmm. that 
for 80% of customers that just want to do basic things, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> well, I, I and, and, and it's good that you brought that up because I kind of started out with the model similar to say Informatic or, or things like that, where you had this kind of workflow and you had this kind of flow, this, this, this way to really dynamically manipulate the data in multiple steps. Um, and I decided, you know what, that's not my audience. If, if that's what a company needs, that product exists. It's called Informatica, MuleSoft, uh, Dell Boomi. It, it already exists. So I don't need to build that. I mean, the audience that I'm trying to target, they, they have much simpler needs, yet they're still just as complicated and they need that complication simplified. Um, sorry, Jeremy's pouring me a beer right now. So I got distracted by the, by the pour because it was beautiful. It's nice and dark. It's dark and luscious. That's developing quite a little head on it. <laughs> luscious head. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my goal was to kind of reduce complexity, was to provide something for, for these companies that don't necessarily have these big enterprise needs. They don't need this, this integration that can pull data from 10 different sources, combine it, massage it, manipulate it, um, you know, twist it apart and put it back together. They need something that goes from point A to point B. There is some complexity, mainly because they don't have full control over that data. Sometimes it comes in looking like looking perfect, and sometimes it comes in looking imperfect. And we need to be able to handle that in a in an elegant way. And so that was my target was was to build something for those people. Um, and also, you know, there are going to be some limitations because I'm not going to be providing some of those tools that say Informatica or the scripting language and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so there's, I guess that I guess there's a certain price point associated with that as well. But exactly, and because what's the rule of thumb? And I don't even know if I agree with this, but I've I've heard this before that making an app that's reusable is three times harder than making one that's like you know fixed single purpose. Yeah, I actually think the number is much higher than that. But even on, but particularly on integrations, I think it's mm-hmm. even a higher multiple. I mean, it's at least ten. It's at least ten times too hard to make an integration. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's a reusable give, give platform me, versus me, a hard-coded integration. Yeah, give me two weeks, eighty hours, and I can build an integration from point A to point B. Because right. I and but the rule is, I know what the data types are going to be. I know what the data is going to look like when it comes in. I know exactly where it's going. And if there's any deviation from that, I bail out. Yeah, and I mean, I'm done. I've got, I mean, I've got great integrations that are nothing but a single Python file that's got a, a couple hundred lines of Python that mm-hmm. that's running a kind of a multi-point integration. I probably still have some some data loader scripting stuff that's still. But that's working. not reusable. It's not. It, no. you know, it doesn't have the best, you know, monitoring or or all kinds. Of, and there's no management features to it. But it does. It does what it exactly what they wanted it to do for the uh, minimal cost. I mean that that's another interesting point is I have very minimal monitoring in this. In fact, I'm not building much monitoring. There's there's. Well, you're fe- building on a platform that has some monitoring capability. There is, but it. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of circumventing most of it. I mean, I'm, I'm using the native logging, which sucks, but. I'm using it. Um, I have some feedback mechanisms coming to whatever agent initiated the process, which who is managing the stream of data. Um, but I'm not building in a lot of monitoring because my audience doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, right. I mean, it'd be they're not going to get any value out of it. Yeah. So why waste time on yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- there's going to be there's going to be logging and trace files, and there's going to be some objects that are going to store some some stack traces and things like that. But for the most part, those are meant for troubleshooting for someone more technical like myself to go in and say, okay, I see what's going on. This, this happened, but not necessarily for the user because the user doesn't really know what to do with that. And, and honestly, from their perspective, they shouldn't have to. Exactly. Yep. All right. So this is big, bad Baptist from Epic brewing in uh, Utah, I guess. 
For some reason, I thought they were in Colorado, but they're it's not. It's got a lot of flavor. Yeah. <clears throat> it's big. It, here's their note. It's big. It's bad. Whiskey and or bourbon barrel, uh, bourbon barrel aged imperial stout with coffee and cacao nibs. <laughs> ABV very, very spicy. parking lot's batch, empty. You can say that a little bit louder. I know. Well, I already clipped doing that, so I don't want <laughs> to <heard it>. blow <laughs> people's eardrums out again. That's pretty delicious, huh? That's got a lot it, of flavor. It's kind of like my chocolate heat, except it doesn't have chilies. And this is bigger. Mine's chocolate heat's like 9%. This is 11 and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty delicious. And guess what? Guess what you get to take home with you? I, oh. Yep. Damn it. Yeah, this is a 32-ounce growler, and no no one should be able to, allowed to drink more than about eight ounces of this at a time. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to kill this one today. I don't know. All right. Well, we probably bored everyone to death the integration. I don't know. It's kind of a nerdy thing. I think a lot of people that that listen to the show probably but I didn't think do we, integration. I don't think we got too technical with things. I no, mean, I was being just, pretty vague. But we've gone but on I mean, for an hour about integrations. That's true. <laughs> but I, I think it is interesting to see our different approaches. I mean, to see yeah. your approach and and to see my latest approach at <laughs> you it. You know, and the thing is, you, it's not like you can compare the approaches because we had different goals. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that just goes to show you, it's, it's, it's one of those things that yeah, there's informatic out there. There's all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean there's not room for more. I mean, there's there's different perspectives. There's different audiences. There's different ways of tackling this problem. Don't. There's also, by the way, existing like open source things. Like, I mean, um, yeah. what's the one that's commercial and open source? Jitterbit. Talon. Talon. Or is Jitterbit? Is Jitterbit open source? I don't know. I don't think I'd use Jitterbit, though. Um, but Talon, Talon is yeah. somewhat open source. They have like the, I think the open core model where, mm. you know. Yeah. They run, you know, the, the, the base is, is yeah. open source, yeah. but then they have a pro kind of serviceable model. Yeah, usually so if you want um, certain types of authentication or single sign-on type things or mm-hmm. certain um, management features or technologies, you know, that's the kind of stuff you pay for. And of course, they do tons of their own professional services. That's you know a big part of the revenue stream. Someone I uh, used to know actually works for them. Someone I went to high school with. Really? Yep. I haven't talked to him in 20 years, though, so that'd be weird. But doesn't that make you special? Um, so Salesforce has uh, released their Q3 results. Did you see this? Do we need uh, to talk about I it? I saw the periphery of it. I heard they're killing it. You know, uh, that's, I think, a fair um, interpretation. The, they're on, they're there, on. there are alternative interpretations, but I, I think um, by lots of measures, they're killing it. So they... Well, in terms of, you know, reaching their 10 billion, they've definitely killed that. When they, yeah. So when they... In February, when they close, right. when they close, assuming they, they keep this run rate through yeah, yeah. Q4, which they, yeah. which they will, they'll have hit because um, they're what like a two point six billion per quarter, which would put them well over the ten mark. Well, their their guidance for finishing two thousand eighteen, which is three more months, well, really two more months actually, uh, is uh, ten point four three to ten point four four billion. Yeah, about ten and a half billion. No, their uh, their non gap EPS was thirty nine cents, so that's that's been constantly growing, you know, a little bit every quarter. It's still, I still don't know if their gap profitable or not. I'm not sure. I, I think their gap, they showed gap earnings of like three cents. They'll get to it at twenty billion, Jeremy. Sure. Well, worry. they might. They might. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they'll break even. The question is, you know, what is this company going to have good earnings? Um, but who knows? I, I don't know. That's that's beyond my uh, pay grade. Um, Let's see. There, yeah. So the revenue came in at two point six eight billion, which beat by thirty million. Which is funny. That's a rounding error. So they beat by thirty million, but on two point six eight billion in revenue, that's a rounding error. And by the way, that's just one quarter, right? Hmm. 
And that just goes to show you, just put in perspective, and I know this is a callback that people are probably sick of hearing, but it just kind of irritates me. Like the whole, we've readjusted our salaries by 2 million or 3 million or, or like over the total, over, the, over three years, like 6 million. Mm-hmm. That is, it's beyond rounding error. I mean, it's oh, yeah. really. I mean, we did the math on it. It was it was like a point zero zero one percent or something like that. I don't remember. And, and the only way that makes sense, and maybe this is what it is, if it, if they if they really only found a, a very small percentage of people, it that's that's why I think when they first announced that two million, we've adjusted salaries by two million, and we were like, oh wow, you hardly had a problem at all. That's mm-hmm. good job. Like, good. you really almost. I mean, again, you you know, I don't know how many. Uh, this is probably a, a few dozen people or something out of out of twenty six thousand. So like, that's amazing if that's if you actually of course now we know all they did was they did an oracle query and <laughs> to figure out so that's your perspective i'm still no, that's what I'm he said jury. he said that's what he, and said, he said he, my, he said this still out with me i think they did a lot more work than that well but, i want to know why they're not just asking einstein why are they still doing oracle queries <laughs> <laughs> but to, to to mark's fault to, not mark mark's fault see blame it on mark john I always blamed it on mark <laughs> <laughs> to his point if 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 it is just a point zero zero one percent to fix this problem, why isn't everyone doing it? Because it's not that. Because it should be an easy that's fix, not the right? Case. It's not the truth that you can't simplify anything like that. I mean, listen, know. we know there are problems, but but boiling it down to a you qu- get three million and you get yeah exactly million, it's like, and you it get makes no million. sense. I mean, you can't boil it down to a single <laughs> query, or or you can't get on. And I mean, it's great that he's done this, but for him to get on TV and say, "Oh, this is simple." But it's everyone good, should be doing it's, it's good for it's Salesforce. It's Don't, good for the Salesforce brand. But that does a disservice to it. It's not simple. It's actually super complicated to do it right. I, I and, agree, and, and I, I do think, agree. I with think him. they did the complicated work. It's just they're dumbing it down for the mainstream media. media. I do. I guess so. Well, he's you know, I don't. I don't want to get. Into that. I don't okay. have a lot of confidence in the media, so I feel like <sighs> you don't. Has, oh wow! I feel like everything has to be dumbed down for them. It's got to be tagline heavy. Keep in mind, these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, okay, what else? So I looked at the clouds. I was like looking at the clouds, right? So sales cloud. Clouds. This, no, There's no, no more clouds. Oh, that's true. They don't exist. Um, what are you from, 1980? So, so this is, uh, so I, I compared the different clouds, you know, for Q3 of this year to Q3 of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you take seasonality out and all that stuff. At least I think it I'm does. wondering where this is going. No, I'm just saying, just to see how much they're up. So sales cloud is up 17%, which I think for sales cloud is, again, is pretty healthy because it had dropped to like 12%. I thought it was my sales force. I, you know, again, I'm, I'm a couple of rebrandings behind, so you just <laughs> have to deal with me. You know who else is a couple of rebrandings behind? Their CFO, because I'm using his terminology. That's what it says in the, if you look in the, <laughs> the, 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 the reports. Well, they got to dumb it down for the analysts too, Jeremy. That's true. All right, yeah. So, sales cloud up seventy percent, pretty healthy for sales cloud. Um, service cloud, again, one of these, uh, one of their, one of their sources for strong growth for years now, up twenty five percent. It's good. Um, platform up thirty three percent. I don't know what that means. Well, that I, we I always can ra- we- I can wrap my head around sales. I can wrap my head around service. I can wrap my my head around CPQ or whatever they're calling that cloud. Um, I cannot wrap my head around the platform. I don't know. So what we that know is. it includes Heroku. Yes, and Heroku's got to be a big part. I mean, Heroku's at least it's. The, it's. I uh, mean, it. All the numbers are probably Heroku numbers if we're talking platform. And and they like things like IoT may be in that group as well. But it's More up thirty three percent. It is a. I mean, they're doing. The platform is a two billion dollar year business. I mean, this was. Well, five, they got a lot of nice value add tools. I mean, they've. It's. It's. I remember. What are I you remember, talking about? Who's Who's they? Heroku. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 
I mean, I remember going back to some of the earlier Dreamforces going, man, I wish this was the Salesforce uh, platform developer discussion where they're talking about continuous integration and all this tooling and monitoring and yeah. and uh, what do they call their uh, their blocks? They're, they have these blocks of functionality. I'm like, God, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, the, like the add-on things? Yeah, the add-ons, yeah. yeah. I think they're add-ons, actually. Yeah, they call them something. I don't remember what they are. But, uh, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, that's a $2 billion a year business platform, whatever that is. Yeah. And then, uh, we, then we have marketing slash e-commerce. So they've combined those into a cloud. Did you know that? <laughs> no. At least for purposes of reporting. It kind of makes sense. So it's, it's a $346 million per quarter business. So that's, what is that? Uh, $1.2 billion a year, something like that. But it's up 40%. Oh, that's a 40% increase in creepiness. It is. And and I wonder how much of that is also acquisitions. Is that is that I mean, did we have Commerce Cloud a year ago? So is that net new revenue that makes it look like it's growing like that? I don't know. I mean, if so, that means it 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 took off like a rocket when yep. we introduced it. Right. Uh and then of course I I broke it down by the region. So this this is most surprising to me. So America was up twenty one percent America's, I guess, is what that is. America. America. Up 21%. Now, considering Salesforce is growing by, I think if you look at their revenue, it's, it's overall, it looks like it's about 25% year over year. So 21% is that, of that is America. So that means we've, we're kind of, at, we've had some saturation in America. We have, but I was surprised that it's still such, such a big part. I mean, the next one was uh, APAC right. at 24%. Right. Now, I think once they get these, Well, they broke down the numbers too. They Didn't they say like 1.4 billion in the US and like 500 million in APAC and then uh, there's well, another one that's I'm giving you the percentages but I can multiply that times the revenue if you want I just, they, had I just, some, they had some nice pretty chart that broke the numbers out for okay. us for us layman people I'm, I'm reading percentages those are those are layman things right I mean I do this mainly for me because I have to I have to I have to simplify not everyone's it, so a Six Sigma black belt it. Jeremy oh, okay. we don't all that's deal with percentages point. we deal with numbers um, but anyway so far as the APAC being up 24% I think once the Australia AWS has time to kick in and get a lot of customers on that, and and I mean that's that's been a huge problem for them out in out in the Pacific regions is that the latency, right? And it, and plus mm-hmm. just this the idea that you're you know you're you're gonna run your business on a service that's on the other side of the, it's on a, it's in a different date than you are. They're always like a day ahead of us. <laughs> Australia, <laughs> they think they're so much better than us. They're a day ahead of us. <laughs> I want to go to Australia. I do too. Since I was a kid, I've always wanted to go there. Now, now that's been tempered a bit after watching a bunch of stupid um, National Geographic shows on how everything there wants to kill me. But uh, everything there does want to kill you. That's the problem <laughs> with Australia. <laughs> but I still want to go. I want to go to Perth. Perth. Yeah. I just want to go see the big rock. And of course, all the all, everyone that lives on the other side of Australia will tell me why I'm crazy. But I, I'd be fine with any of it. Anyway. Um, okay. And then Europe. I want this. I want you to guess how much Europe is up year over year. Twenty? No. Yeah, twenty. I would say it's twenty. Forty-six percent. Oh wow! Yeah, that's that's big. Yeah, that's big. Thanks, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've raised their yeah their their 2018 to 10.44. We talked about that. Um, their 2019 guidance is coming in at 12 point about 12.5 billion. So, yeah, next year, 2019, they'll do 12.5, which is interesting because I did the math on that, and that's under 20% growth. So they're, 
you know, the, the growth, again, we've talked about this. It, it, it's, it's been, I mean, they used to be 35%, right? A few years ago, it was 35% growth. But now we're getting under 20%. I, I don't know. I feel like that's a, a milestone. But maybe by then, you know. They were, they were starting at zero. So, I mean, any growth was. Who was? Europe. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm back to, I'm, I'm moved on. We're oh. not, we're not, no, this is, this okay, is, well, what this is Salesforce wide. So $12.5 billion ah, okay. of revenue in 2019. But again, that's, when you do the math, that's, that's under 20% growth. But maybe they'll, maybe they'll be increasing their profitability. I mean, I think that's the goal, I guess. It's just, it'll be interesting to see if they can, that, that's been the big question is, can they turn that corner? I don't know. I think they can. I, I've seen a lot of things that I was skeptical of, certain product lines that are getting far more traction than I thought. The verticals are getting more traction than I thought they would. Connect is getting more traction than I thought it By would. By the way, where do those verticals show up in this? I don't they know. don't. They don't. Yeah. I, well, I think what's interesting is I think the verticals give give people in the industry something to look at, but it doesn't force them to exclude Salesforce. Like they go, okay, yeah, that vertical app is nice, but I'm just going to use Salesforce type situation. Right. Um, some do actually use the vertical app, but I'm just saying, I, I think it's it gives them something to gravitate to. It puts them in the right bucket. Salesforce has become the the enterprise version of what's that? What's that small business system that has? All these little apps. They got a little CRM app. They got an app for everything. A time logging app, <clears throat> um, document app. It's um, uh, I don't know. Is it Zoho? Zoho. Yes. Oh, Zoho. Okay. Yeah, they've got you know. There's like dozens of these little apps, but it's all like small businessy stuff. Salesforce has now become the enterprise version of that. Like Salesforce has so many apps, I couldn't even name half of them probably. Yeah. But they're all for giant. You know, it's giant. Um, another thing that I thought was interesting was in the past. In the past four quarters, at this point, Salesforce has printed about three and a half billion dollars worth of stock. So, if you do the, if you look at the the amount of share dilution there's been over the past year, multiply that times the you know the current stock price, three point five billion dollars. It's um, at what one hundred and six right now, I think. Yeah. And by, yeah. By the way, at, at, with these, you know, again, what what was your what was your characterization of their results? They. Killed it or they killed it or whatever you killing said. It. You just said something. They're, They're killing it. Um, but uh, yeah, Wall Street didn't didn't quite agree with you. They they've been immediately were trading down after hours, and there they've been down a little bit today. I mean, not much, like a percent or two. But yeah, Wall Street Wall Street's uh, finicky when it, well because there's no new shiny to attach. To. I, I guess or or maybe I mean the thing is you know when you look at Salesforce's valuation, it's all it's all based on future promises that. Will they be able to deliver on those promises or not? We don't know, right? And and the more it looks like they are delivering on those promises, okay, because that, that the promises are already built into the stock price. That's a future. That's a future price. That's what we think Salesforce is going to be worth. We don't know if it's going to get there. So if it, I think it, it's, I think every it's time worth- they release numbers, it's like, do we think it, it looks a little bit more like they're going to get there, or it might, might look a little bit less like they're going to get there? And if, if they release their numbers and it and they're down two percent the next day, that's like, well, we looks a little bit less like they might. You know, there's a, a little bit can tip. One way or the other, but I just think you need to dangle a new shiny in front of them, and they'll be like, "Yeah, everything's going good." Well, that's Mark Benioff's job. He's the, I mean, look at Apple, hypester in the, chief with the what the trillions they have in the bank, and yet every, after every yeah. after every phone release or every little controversy, oh, they're down, they suck, they're going downhill. Yet they have billions and billions <laughs> in cash. I'm like, okay, what are you guys talking about here? I know. What What are you guys doing here? That's weird. <laughs> I don't get this. Um, but anyway, let me get back to my point. So they've in the past year they've printed three point five billion dollars in stock, but at the same time, shareholder equity grew by one point three billion. 
the net of that is that in one year, investors have lost $2.2 billion of equity in Salesforce. How? Because they got diluted, oh, the they got diluted by $3.5 yeah. billion. So it's, again, and that's, that, things like that have to be rectified. They can't keep doing that. But isn't that the job of the board to kind of, kind of, well, it's going. It's the job. It's the job of the stock market to value them what they're worth. And well, it is, but the board gets to make a decision on whether or not they're gonna they're gonna continue to dilute that, right? Probably. I mean, I, I would think the board could. I would. I would think could weigh in on that. I mean, it's just it's a compensation thing. You know, management has chosen this type of compensation. I mean, they're they're. But they had to make the printing, case. To it. They had to make the case to the board to say yes, we want to bring this person on, and we want. I, to- I don't know what the rules are for what you have to take to the board. Not. It might have been one. I, I really. I just don't know though. Uh, but I think if the board was really unhappy with it, they could probably at the next board meeting they could say, "Hey, we don't yeah. like this." Because but look who's on the board: it's Benioff, it's Mark Hawkins, it's uh, <laughs> it's um, Ken, Ken Block. It's all his buddies. <laughs> yeah. And Einstein's on the board. He's got a seat now at the table. So oh, that's right. <laughs> Einstein's on the board. <laughs> Forgot about that. Another thing that I was like to point I out. I don't know. This is, this is yet another what quarter. You, what do you think we should do? Yeah, we should. We should. <laughs> you agree with me? That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's see, so Einstein agrees with me. At some point. There's a tie to be broken, and Benioff looks over at Einstein. What do you think? At some point. Tie broken. (laughs) Einstein agrees with me. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. um, What was I saying? Oh, yeah. This is is another thing to always point out, though. But they have beaten by one to three cents. You know, I always talk about the beaten raise, beaten raise, beaten raise. Uh, They've beaten by one to three cents and and 10 to $50 million in revenue for the past 16 consecutive quarters. That's awesome. Which is, to, and again, I think it's that's amazing. This is it's well, this phenomenal. Is, this is uh, unbilled deferred revenue manipulation. This is a non-gap manipulation. Is what this what that is? Um, tech, the TechCrunch article has a. Let me see if I can send this to you, so you can see this. They they did a graph on this. Oh, Where I like graphs. How, how recently have I texted? Is, is it a pretty graph? It's a pretty graph. There it is. They did a graph to show this amazingly consistent you could not draw a oh, more this graph yeah what's well, brand new you didn't it was out today what do you mean you've seen it i mean you might it's got an old I version read of this too no you don't yes i do <laughs> I've seen this you graph. do not <laughs> but look at that i mean it's it's uncanny it looks impossible no one's got a business that's that that's that's that consistent but when you have that well, when you when, when you, you have, have that a, candy jar this is a new model this is a new world jeremy <laughs> New rules. Salesforce, you know, they are innovative, John. They're the most innovative company <laughs> in the world. They're certainly financially innovative. Anyway, there was some other news. They, they it put, I think it was in the same press release. Brett Taylor, who was the Quip guy, is, has been promoted to uh, president and uh, chief something, a product. So that was Alex Dayon's job. So Alex Dayon is now uh, president and chief strategy officer. You wanted to spend more time on yacht. How many presidents can a company have? Is there some law? You know, some kind of SEC regulation. Well, doesn't Oracle have like two presidents? They have co co CEOs, right? Oh yeah, two CEOs. Yeah, they have co CEOs. <laughs> so yeah, th- there's no rules. <laughs> How many presidents can you have? I don't know. I thought I thought you had one president, and then the then the other people were vice presidents. I mean, there's room for everyone. Jeremy. I guess so. Yeah. I want I want to see I want you know how these companies uh, some of these you know you small. You know, head, if they head, want to be head. diverse about it, they'd have two CEOs, one male, one female. Ah, there. That's, That's how you do it. Now, how many, let me ask this, how many females, they have a lot of presidents, right? How many, how many of those are female? I don't know. They need to work on it, though. <laughs> the, the, it's never over, John. You never win that battle. You're always working on it, which is probably true. Um, where are we at? 
it's three. A few more minutes. Do you have? You know, I've I've wanted to tell you about a uh, little story about an app. Actually, not even an app. It's just a basically. A, I guess it's an app. It's a simple Visual Force page that over time, um, and it's never been released, never been used by real users. But throughout the development process, it's gotten more complicated and more complicated. And there's a lot of data on the screen and a lot of interaction between this data. There's a lot of formulas and stuff. Hmm. This uh, is not going where I thought it was going to be. Well, I thought you were going to say about three bad brothers. I know, know so well. <laughs> but uh. Here's a little story <laughs> I got to tell. <laughs> now, it started out really simple. And so it was just Visual Force. And I was using jQuery to, to, to provide some... jQuery? That's so freaking 1980. I know. I'm, I'm, ash- I'm actually ashamed. 1990. <laughs> Let me duck what, here. So what no decade one, are you from, uh, jQuery? Let me put a mask on so we can... Anonymous. <laughs> um, no, it's just, you know, Visual Force and jQuery, super simple. I mean, there was, there was a few kind of feels I wanted to be able to dynamically update and populate and things. Super simple. But now it's gotten way more complicated or the requirements have. I haven't actually built this out yet. But my question is like, when do you, um, when do you say, okay, this is no longer, I mean, I don't want to do this in jQuery anymore with a bunch of basically like imperative manual updating of things. And I'm, mm-hmm. you're manually updating the DOM, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got JavaScript that's just hacking away at the DOM. Yeah. Um, when you say no, okay, this is now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch this over and do it in Vue now, or React, or whatever you know, whatever your pleasure is. When you ask yourself that question, is it? Yeah. I, honestly, I mean, it wouldn't take me long. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've done a few Vue apps now, and it, it wouldn't take me long at all. I don't think to, to convert this over, and it's just, it's gonna save so much time building out the, the second part of this app. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you get to a point where you try to start to question, you know, whether or not you still need this, whether or not to move it on, it's probably time to move on. But one thing... Because I'm happy- your, your, your brain is thinking about the future. Your brain is thinking about what I got to do next and how you're going to maintain it and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, your, your experience, you got you to go through your gut sometimes yeah. when it comes to experience. There, there is a bar, though. Like, for example, I mean, as a view app, and someone can let me know if, they've, if there's a better way to do this, but... Or as, you know, as a kind of a single page app. I mean, you're not... It's not visual for so... You don't just call save and all the controls that are on the screen get their value saved back into the database. No, yeah. I'm having a call. I mean, now I'm I'm purely in like REST a, REST API land. Then you're a good company because that's what Lightning does. Yeah, but it probably does a lot of that for you. I mean, you're not. I'm not. You're not having to manually. Yeah, but I mean, they they basically said, yeah, this is a good way of doing stuff. This is a good architecture. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be postbacks. You know, it can be. API communication. I wish this now. See the thing is, I, I, on the one hand, I say I wish this client was on Lightning, which I can do Lightning, but I'm actually not sure that's the case. I, I, I'm curious of how I would you do Lightning out. I don't know if Lightning would be good at this. At what? At this particular problem. I mean, this isn't some little component. This is a. Well, what's the problem? Describe the even um, at, even at a high level. You can drag and drop photos into the thing. It starts building records. Mm-hmm. Um, there are master detail records under those that you can either hide or show or whatever, but that's no big deal. Um, but they have, each of these records has a bunch of numeric fields that are all like interde- interdependent and mm-hmm. you can enter in, in, you know, you can, I don't know, there's just like, you can you can either enter a couple of numbers and have everything else calculate out or you can override these things and, and they, of course, they sum up and, and it's all, it's all, because it's in a, it's like a single page app type thing, um, it's, it's all real time. You don't. Have, there's no postbacks or you know, save and refresh right. the page or whatever. Well, I mean, you could accomplish that with you know view and you know remoting calls to your controller. 
I mean, it just, I mean, lightning doesn't really do anything different than that. I mean, it provides a structure, a flow. You have your controller, JavaScript controller, and you have a JavaScript helper. Um, and then you have your, you still have a controller behind that that I'm you not, call. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I just want to keep this as, I don't know, as jQuery. But what is jQuery doing in terms of oh, I'm just manually data store. And I'm, I'm listening stuff. for events on. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of just it, kind of app um, management. So it's hiding and showing things. Um, but now there's going to be a lot more uh, listening for input values on all these different mm-hmm. on all these different inputs and and updating other other ones. So just tons of direct DOM manipulation. I mean, it probably com- becomes a uh, a time and money problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and, I, and I wish I knew. Because, I mean, if you got the time, I mean, I, I think it's probably worth refactoring because you've reached a level with your program right. that, it, that it needs to mature. Yep. And if you've got the time and money to mature it, then mature it. If not, then, you're, then you just continue to, to maintain it. It'd probably take me like a half a day for what I have right now to have a, a to convert that into a view and have a working view app that's you know, saving all the things back and using the API and all that. Yeah. I mean, do you so, want to extend puberty or you want to get it over and done with? I'm not sure about the metaphor. But. Hey, puberty is painful, that state. It is. Yeah. It's like an awkward no man's land. Yeah. I think you're in puberty right now. Anyway. It's time to grow up, Jeremy. Yep. Yeah. I think I'll probably convert it. I don't know. I, I'm waffling here, John. I'm flip-flopping. Just wasting time. I know. Well, I'm, I'm feeling nice and warm now after these beers. Yeah, this one, this one was a, uh, this one will kick your butt. It will. Uh, we said we'd mention uh, the switch statement. Right. So I guess Salesforce announced they're going to have a switch statement. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I mean, the story isn't the switch statement. The story is the fact that they've made changes to the compiler, which enabled them to do the switch statement, which likely means it should enable them in the future to add more, more features. That's what we're hoping for, right? Because yeah. the, the switch statement was the least needed thing. I mean, it, it's, it's nice to have a switch statement, but it's not that big of a deal to write an if-else, right? Well, the switch statement is kind of an if-else. It, it is. It's just a better, it's, it's syntax sugar for it, right? Yeah. And maybe the compiler can optimize more if it's a switch statement. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I know my first reaction was be, because of the way they wrote it, I was like, there's no fall-through support, is there? And sure enough, there is no fall-through support. So you, it, it's, it, and I, I know fall-through has like its camps, like some people. Well, you know the problem with fall-through, right? It's just buggy. I mean, people, yeah. it, it invites bugs. People don't, they forget that uh, the fall. If you forget right? to break your, yep. your case, then yep. you'll end up falling through and your logic will execute and you're like, what the hell's going on? And yep. you have to go in and read it and go, oh, I forgot my break. Right. But but to me, that feels like, well, I don't know. I guess I guess I take it personal. I take it personal in the fact that they don't think I'm, I'm able to handle that kind of responsibility. The weird thing and, is, and so I feel like when a language tries to abstract me from things that they feel like, oh no, you can't handle that. No, the, the you programmers have proven you can't handle that. You make too many mistakes, so I'm going to abstract you from that. And I'm going to do it the, the way I want to do it, the right way, and you guys just have to deal with it. Yeah, that's what I feel. I, I know it's not right, but and I understand they're they're making trade offs and they're making decisions, and there are good things about the switch statement, like the um uh, the s object type support. I mean that that's going to be helpful. Well, I didn't see that. So, what you you can switch on the s object type? Yeah. Okay. So you could say you can have like a collection of s object. You can say case account case 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 or case contact case okay. those, okay. and you don't have to do the the declarative um, metadata calls. Yeah, and that's it's good. They're taking the opportunity to 
I mean, because let's just admit it, Ibex is a completely proprietary language, and it's it's based on Java, but and we know it probably boils down to Java, right? But it's um, but, but as a language, it's it's not Java, and I guess there's opportunities to uh, to do things that enhance that you can enhance the language in ways that's like uh, tied into the platform, right? Mm-hmm. That's just one way. Just like building in DML directly into it, I guess, or or, or um, SQL you know, yeah. directly into the into the language. Building in the magic. But on the other hand, I, I was thinking it's weird that the switch statement is going to work differently than the Java switch statement because a lot of people come, I think, or for the people that come to Apex from Java, it's like, okay, well, it's kind of like a subset of Java, which has been kind of true. Mm-hmm. But now when, when things like, okay, well, now we have a switch statement, but it's going to work. It's not a subset of the, it's different than the Java switch statement. Right. It's, I mean, it's going to behave differently. Like this, the, the, the fall through thing is, yeah. And so that's, <laughs> that can cause some, if you're, if you go back and forth between Java and Apex, that's, those are those things that are difficult. They're, they're close enough. They look the same. They kind of look the same. Mm-hmm. And they're the same construct. They're called the same thing. But they actually operate a little bit subtly differently. Yeah. I, I, I just wonder if Salesforce looks at the community and sees professional developers as the minority in their community. Of the, what, 4 million developers that are out there now, they see professional developers as the minority? They do. And Here's a, here's a statement. For one of the explanations, we wanted to avoid fall-through style behavior to keep Apex approachable. Fall-through has its own scoping challenges and it's error-prone, even to professional developers. <laughs> like, like we're not professional. Well, so does a loop. I feel like they just called us so non-professional. So does a wild loop. Why, why, why did you give me a wild loop? I don't know. I could screw that up too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I... I, I I don't understand. I don't understand the logic. I don't either. Who's the product manager for Apex? And and what novice developer is going to be asking for a switch statement? None. Right. No, they're going to be like, oh my God, Apex is amazing. Because that's all they've ever used, you know? <laughs> no, those are words I never thought would pass my lips. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, hopefully this is, you know, one of... I mean, when's the last time they... Added a, a major feature like this. To it, it is encouraging because it, it does is. feel like there's some attention being put into that. And at least they're, hopefully with the new compiler, it means that it's enabled their developers to be able to do things that they feel are necessary. If we're not going to be able to run JavaScript or Java on the platform, then I am then I, I, I welcome these Apex improvements because we really need them. I'll tell you the thing that I think, and this is just based on the work I've been doing recently, I guess, I think maybe more important than packages or namespaces is is lambdas, and if not lambdas, at least anonymous uh, anonymous classes. Because you know you want to you want to have just like quick little implementations on the fly, and you've got to actually write out a class for that. You can't do an anonymous. If, if Salesforce class. doesn't think we can handle a breaking out of a switch statement, they're not going to think we can handle lambdas. And even in Java now, you know <laughs> the fact that Java has, um, you know, there's um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, it's streams, but it's not. It's not like streaming. It's their, um, oh, what do you call it? It's it's. Uh, what kind of streams? Like like file streaming, memory yeah, it's streaming, like collection streams. So it's like you know you can on any on any collection like a list or a set or whatever you can you can call stream on it, mm-hmm. and then you just start passing in lambdas and lambdas. You know, you can like map and reduce and switch and flat map and whatever. I mean, all yeah. these are uh, filter. Um, it's the functional style, I guess. Is that what it's considered? It is, and I think lambdas allow us to be more expressive with our code, but that doesn't reduce complexity in the execution. It just no, abstracts it, us from that. It, it and I does. think Salesforce is, is also trying to balance out how much compute resources we take up. So a lambda could potentially take up a lot of compute no, no. cycles. I hear what you're saying. That's not it at all. You don't think so? No. 
And in because even in Java, I mean, lambdas boil down to they are they are anonymous class implementations. That's what it is. It's just a better syntax for it. Right. It's not even a real closure. I mean, it doesn't. But, I mean, that doesn't that doesn't. I mean, they, they can still be extremely complex. They can still, in a simple expression, expand out or whatever the right terminology is into something that's far more complex that requires quite a bit heavy lifting. I, I just don't think so. It's not that you're doing anything more. It's just that instead of me having to literally declare, you know, 15 classes, 15 inner classes, I mean, I can just, I've, I've got a few functions that call functions. So I don't know. I know this is hard to explain. It's yeah. hard, hard to explain in code, but. I know, anyway, I and I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I really hope that they're they're looking at these things. Either that, or let us run JavaScript or Java. Think you're dreaming. I may be. I mean, I'm not the only one dreaming. A lot of their big customers are dreaming, and dreaming and pressuring. I just wonder if they don't understand the difference between because when they talk about developing and being on the platform, they they try to push Heroku as this environment where you can run they don't and even do anything. Push it. It's their it's their excuse. It kind of is, and, and I think I think Heroku would be a good option if our interaction with Salesforce objects felt native, felt native to Heroku. But it isn't. It's this no, replication and, and you're all, it's, with yes. limitations on top of it. Right. You don't even get to participate in the tr in the transactions, and there's no distributed. Uh, they don't, as far as I know, unless this new. Well, they have platform events, and they might try to use that as an. As no, a those are those well. are outside of the transactions. For example, when, uh, in fact, did you see what Chuck was talking about today? Yeah, I have that noted. So you, if your transaction fails, you roll it back. Your platform event already fired. It, it doesn't get rolled. That doesn't get rolled back. Right. I mean, what are you rolling back? You already fired a, an event that something unrelated is listening to. Something outside which is of your which is a bit d dangerous, and that might be that might just be an issue in general with service bus messaging type systems. In in general, it is. It is. They're not. Yeah. They're you're generally doing all that outside of transactions. Right. So, so it's important to understand the context of that technology. Like, I mean, we could bastardize platform events and turn them into something that we think is transaction safe, but it's not because that's well, not what, that's yeah, not what you, that technology is designed no, for. You can't hold you can't hold transactions open what long enough for other systems to respond and get their right. response and see if they want if they're okay with committing or if they want to roll back. That's, I mean, there is like you know two phase commit type of distributed transactions, but I mean. Ugh. That sounds ugly. I mean, it can work, but it's within, you know, you really have to, it's got to be a controlled environment where you're, you know, you understand the latency and, and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And there's no way, I mean, I, Salesforce would never do that. And I would not want them to do that. All right, John. Well, I think we've got a, a show here. Do you? Any follow-up or uh, final stuff? People need to subscribe. I, I would like to know how many people subscribe to the show versus like just download it or whatever. You know, if if everyone here, here's the deal. If everyone subscribed right now in iTunes or the podcast app, uh -huh. um, we might hit the like you know the what the what's hot or whatever in one of those categories. What's hot or new? Is it new new and noteworthy or something? Or new and noteworthy? Because that's based on sudden new subscriptions. So even if you have an Android phone, go borrow your wife's phone or your husband's or your your kid's <laughs> phone and subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> everyone, subscribe now. That's funny. Um. Anyway, we got mentioned in yeah. a blog. But I, I always appreciate those. It was an appearance. Oh blog. yeah, I saw that. Like a, it was a list of podcasts or something. Yeah, I'm surprised too that people are willing to um, well, see, associate I, I, their names with I, ours. I think Salesforce was the <laughs> the Salesforce podcast were the obligatory top. Um, but I feel honored that we were the top non Salesforce podcast in that list. Assuming that yeah. the that the that the numbering system. Yeah, was, a was rank. it? Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily know that it was, but no, well, that's it nice. Was that was a period. 
I think so. Yeah, it oh. was a uh, yeah hub.aperio.com. Okay. Oh, well, thanks, Aperio. Yeah. Uh, who wrote that article? I don't know. Who wrote it? I think they must not listen to the episodes where we said bad things about them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think we've. Nicole Clemp wrote that article. Thank you, Nicole. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't have anything else. So share us. Reviews are great. I don't think we've, we have not been getting much in the email box. Huh? The inbox has been very sad. It has. Yeah. So Appa- apparently our topics are, are exactly what everyone wants apparently to hear. So either that or I don't know. I should check our downloads, see if anyone actually downloads this show. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> like no one even hears us. So, um, but no, if you have topics or questions that you want us to talk about on, on the air, on the, is that, can you still say that on the air? I don't think so. Uh, whatever. On the, on the packets. You're trying to sound off. <laughs> on the packets. Uh, send us an email. Info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. Uh, we have a Slack community that's uh, pretty cool. Nice people. Smart people. Uh, and if you want to join us, we'd be happy to have you. And you also go to our website for that. Gooddaysirpodcast.com. Click on community. And you just have to enter your email address. And I think that actually just gets emailed to John. It does. Um, it doesn't even go into a database or anything. Nope. And you just... Manually add them to Slack because we like doing some things artisanally, small batch. Yep. And then the email, your email goes away. Like we, which is why if you if you uh, register and it takes like an hour or a day. Yeah, it's not immediate because because I'm manually you checking. Stay, my, I think you stay on top of those. I, I do try, but there are times like someone comes in like at six or seven p.m. and it's not. It's I don't get it until the morning. Yeah. When I check my okay. email. But uh, yeah, join our join our community. It's fun. It's it's informative. It's useful. It's helpful. It's okay to lurk. Some smart people. It's it's better. Okay, yeah. it's, I mean, I would say it's most better, people are, It's better to participate, but it's okay to lurk. I, don't even, I wouldn't even say it's better. I mean, we would like you to, but if, if you are not comfortable with that and just want to lurk, I mean, I would, I, you know, I think most people are lurkers as with any of these forums or systems or whatever. Yeah. So that's fine. What else, John? Uh, you already said reviews. You already said like us. You already said our community. I mean, do you have any, any uh, final words of wisdom? Anything coming up? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, yeah. That's an American thing only. Or at least yeah. for this time of year, this date. All right. That's it. Happy Thanksgiving, John. Happy Thanksgiving. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>